0: We're going to read now from uh, Luke's Gospel. Luke's Gospel in chapter 12. We've reached this morning verses uh, 13 to 34. Luke 12 and verses 13 to 34. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying... Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. There will your heart be also. Amen. Over the last few weeks we've had some very hard words that Jesus has said. uh, Very challenging words. uh, Quite difficult to listen to at times. But important to listen to. Uh, But in this passage we have uh, some important things to hear again. uh, But some lovely encouragements as well. As we find God to be the God of care. Uh, who looks after us and provides for us in in wonderful ways so if you have a Bible as I said turn then to to Luke uh, chapter 12 Uh, first of all though, I want to uh, ask you if you uh, ever enjoyed school trips when you were younger I quite enjoyed school trips some people hated them probably, didn't like them but uh, I quite enjoyed them and I remember one at junior school uh, where we went to York which is a fantastic place to visit Uh, lots to see, lots to do it was the first time I'd ever visited York, uh, and I really did genuinely enjoy it. It was a flying visit. It was just a day, all the way from Maryport and West Cumbria, across to York, long bus journey, but it was worth it. Uh, I enjoyed the city walls, uh, and we walked around part of those walls as we were in York. Uh, quite a challenge for uh, school teachers to keep ten-year-olds on that wall, but uh, we did it for a little way. Uh, I enjoyed seeing uh, York Minster. I'd never seen a building that size in my life, I don't think up to that point. It was huge and it was impressive. Uh, I loved, uh, Have you ever been to the, the Shambles, uh, the higglety figgledy little shops uh, there in the centre of York. Fascinating. Um, although the one thing I bought from them was a little plastic toy car, which probably wasn't the best thing I could have bought. But that's what I wanted at the time. Uh, but the thing I remember most, and that I enjoyed most about York, uh, was actually visiting the Jorvik Viking Centre. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I was fascinated by the Vikings anyway as a kid, Uh, and that was the highlight of the day for me, going to see that. I don't know if you've ever been to the Jorvik Viking Centre, but it's, it's, well, I haven't been for a while, so I presume it's still like this. You sit in a little, like a little tram cart thing, and it's like some little tracks that take you around an old uh, Viking York, basically, as it was then. Uh, it's well. they tend to be as realistic as possible right down to the smells which absolutely stink take a nose peg with you if you go it really does smell uh, but I loved that as a little boy I thought it was great um, I was genuinely fascinated by it because uh, I loved the Vikings uh, one thing that's intriguing about the Vikings and that I was intrigued by as a, a young child and, and still am really as well uh, is that when they died uh, do you know what they did? know how their burials would be often especially if they were a chief or something like that uh, they would be buried with many of their possessions it wasn't just their body that went into the ground in a coffin, they were buried with many of their possessions too uh, and the hope that as they went into the next world they could take all those possessions with them and they thought they would uh, of course excavations have shown that they didn't They couldn't. All the possessions are still there. They haven't gone anywhere. They're still in the ground. Uh, We can't take things with us, can we? Beyond the grave. Uh, These verses uh, in Luke this morning that we've already read, uh, they're about possessions. The physical things that we own. uh, And our attitude to them. It's about what we value in terms of possessions, and uh, what we pursue, what we seek, uh, what we go after. It's also about what God promises to provide us with, uh, and the treasure that lasts. Uh, we've got three points this morning, split the passage up into three. Uh, and first of all, verses 13 to 21. Don't put your trust in the possession of this world's riches. Don't put your trust in the possession of this world's riches. Uh, we live in a society that, that is pretty much obsessed with money and with possessions, don't we? Uh, it's so much around us that we probably don't even notice most of the time. We're so immersed in it, and we're so part of it, as part of the wider culture anyway, that we don't even realise just how obsessed our, our lives can be with, with money uh, and with possessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason that the, I think it's called a double dip recession we're in is it. The reason that it, it's so concerning to people is because it threatens our ability to own stuff and to have stuff. It takes away our possessions possibly, and we all like to own stuff. We all like our possessions. Uh, we're not the only people though who have been obsessed with possessions and with physical wealth. We're not unique. Uh, other places and other times have had the same obsessions and have pursued the same obsessions. It wasn't unheard of in Jesus' time, was it? In verse 13 that we read earlier, we have a man in the crowd that's surrounding Jesus. He's obviously managed to bite his way to the front and he says something to Jesus. He says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I want my possessions that are due to me from that inheritance. Uh, In the last few verses, Jesus has been saying, as we've said, some some pretty tough things, some pretty hard things. Uh, And as he said them, my guess is, and I'm sure he said them, with recognisable authority. Uh, Jesus uh, was not someone that you would cross lightly when he was in that sort of mood. He spoke with strength and with power. Perhaps that's why the man in the crowd Asked Jesus to have a word with his brother. Uh, Perhaps he thought. My brother might not listen to me. But I've just heard this man speak. He'll listen to him. He'll listen to what he says. And what he tells him to do. But the man gets a a surprising response. Doesn't he in verse 14. Jesus says to him. Man. Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you. we're used to thinking that actually Jesus is our judge. And he is. He will be when he comes again, in his second coming. But in his first coming, he had called people to believe in him. To seek forgiveness to him. He hadn't come to decide petty court cases. About dividing worldly inheritances. There was already a functioning legal system in Israel that could do that. And Jesus hadn't come to sort out that sort of case. But, as he heard the man's question, as he so often did with questions that he wasn't going to answer directly, he took the topic of the question in order to teach about something actually more important. He took the opportunity uh, to speak about possessions. He turns to the crowd, and he begins to speak to them about what happens if you centre your life on what you own in this world. I think we're all guilty of this sometimes. But do you often look at perhaps someone else's house and you think to yourself, oh I wish that was mine. I wish that was mine. I get that every time I watch Grand Designs. (laughs) I wish that was mine that'd be great or maybe for you it's not houses maybe it's you look at someone else's car and you think that's great I love that you're a bit of a petrol head and you think if only I had that Ferrari or whatever it is I wish I had that do you you hear perhaps that some friends or neighbours or whoever they are they're heading off on holiday and they're going somewhere sunny they're going somewhere with a beach and you just know they're going to have a great time and you're stuck in wet rainy Ingleton <laughs> and you think "Oh, I wish I could go because you know that whilst they're turning brown in the sun you're going to be turning green with envy I want that I want it I could go on listing in all sorts of other examples couldn't I uh, possessions, luxuries, uh, gadgets uh, toys you see other people possessing them and you long to have them You get a bit covetous. Possessions. Uh, I should think most of us in this room have a weakness somewhere. When it comes to some sort of possession. Well Jesus has a word for us doesn't he in verse 15. Take care. Be careful he's saying. Take care. Be on your guard. Eyes open here to what's happening. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. That's envy. Wanting the possessions that other people have got. Why? He says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What does Jesus mean by that? Uh, What's he saying? What's he telling us to take care about and warning us about? Well, as he so often does, he tells a parable to explain. Uh, verses 16 uh, to 21. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I read Jesus' parables and I scratch my head and think, well, what does he mean? I have to think pretty hard about it and pray pretty hard about it. Well, we should always think hard and pray hard about Jesus' parables, uh, but sometimes they are hard and sometimes they're pretty easy to get the gist of, aren't they? Uh, I would suggest this one isn't too difficult to understand the point is is pretty clear Uh, in verse 16 we're introduced uh, to a rich man a rich man (laughs) Uh, and uh, he is rich already before what happens next even happens he's got plenty of money, he's loaded no worries financially Uh, he probably wasn't in desperate need of a bumper crop uh, but he gets one anyway Uh, We're told that uh, his land, verse 16, produces plentifully. Uh, God was good to him. In his common grace, as we call it, and that common grace, God being good to everybody and giving them life and food and so on, he was particularly good to this man. And in verse 17, the man begins to wonder, uh, well, what shall I do uh, with my bumper crop? What shall I do? Notice carefully... That in all of his ponderings about what to do with this abundance of, of possession that God has given him. Now everything of course is given to us by God. Everything we have is a gift from him. Notice that as he thinks about it, there is no thought of giving it away. Already a rich man. But there is no thought about giving it away. It doesn't even seem to enter his head. No, instead he quickly comes to the conclusion I'll tear down my little barns and I'll build much bigger ones. Then I can keep it. And it's mine. I can store it. That's a bad enough attitude as it is. But here's where it leads in verse 19. And this is the real big mistake. The man says to himself, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry, have a good time. Everything's well. I've got loads of grain, I've got loads of dosh, I've got loads of money, loads of possessions. Can you feed your soul? Think about your soul. Can you feed your soul with grain, with money, with houses, with Ferraris, with computers, whatever it is, with great new clothes? Can you feed your soul with that? Can your soul forever relax because you've got a bulging bank account? Can your soul permanently eat and feed upon that beautiful big house? Can your soul eternally drink the latest Apple gadget or mobile phone? Can your soul, your very soul, draw everlasting delight and merriment from flourishing stocks and shares? Really? Of course not. It's not good for your soul, is it? None of those things, or any other physical riches and possessions can ultimately do anything for your soul that will last on into eternity. They can't. In the very next verse, verse 20, what do we read? God said to this man, fool, this night your soul will be required of you and the things you have prepared, all those possessions in your barn, whose will they be? Not yours is the answer. (laughs) Not yours anymore. Your physical possessions, no matter how numerous and how great they may be, they can't sustain your soul beyond the grave, can they? Not at all. The Vikings would have found that and buried with their treasure. But we will find it too. Can't take it beyond the grave. You see, your soul does continue beyond physical death, doesn't it? But your possessions don't go with you. As Jesus says in verse 21... Having physical treasure now will be useless when you face God. If you haven't been rich towards him during this life. Uh, And that is what ultimately matters both in this life and the next, isn't it? Not physical riches, nice as they are, but God-centred riches. So are you rich toward God? Are you rich toward him, Jesus says? Secondly, though, we come to verses uh, 22 to 30. Uh, Verses 22 to 30. Our first point was, uh, don't put your trust in the possession of this world's riches. Secondly, though, don't be anxious about the physical possessions that you need. Don't be anxious about the physical possessions that you do actually need. Uh, With all this talk of putting your trust in in physical possessions, or not putting your trust in them, uh, particularly food in the parable, wasn't it? I'm sure that Jesus was aware what some people would be thinking as they listened to him. Perhaps they were thinking something like this. Uh, Jesus, just uh, wait a minute here. Do you not care, or uh, have you forgotten, uh, that in this life we we do have real physical needs? You can't just talk about the light to come. Uh, We do actually have physical needs in this life, Jesus. Uh, Well, Jesus knows that, as these next verses will show. He knows that there can be times in life where in actual fact we don't have an abundance of possessions perhaps. Um, most of us in this country are very fortunate we never fall into that situation but it can happen. We can sometimes find ourselves where uh, there are situations where we're anxious about making ends meet. Are we going to be able to put food on the table? Are we going to be able to pay the bills? Are we be able to keep warm in winter and so on and put the fire on and the central heating? Uh, there are of course a whole host of other things about which we can become anxious and worried, and concerned. And well, because Jesus knows this, he moves to reassure us, to teach us, uh, and to reassure us. Uh, First, in verse 22, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Don't be anxious, Jesus says. Uh, Why? Well, firstly, verse 23. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Now, when you stop and think about those first words, they're really quite radical, aren't they? They are genuinely quite radical. Uh, We tend to say, don't we, that as long as we've got food to eat, as long as we've got a roof over our heads, clothes on our backs, ah, then that's all we need all we need Um, there's some truth in that in terms of physical things, yes but in actual fact those things are not all that we need we do need them but there's more to it than that Uh, Jesus will come back to, to what more we need shortly We'll come back to it in our third point. But he's just flagging up again. There's more to life than just your physical needs. But before he comes back to it, he does offer some reassuring truths for those of us who do get anxious and do get worried about this physical life. He uses two illustrations, doesn't he? Uh, Both of them show how God cares and physically provides for even the least things in his creation. The smallest things. Uh, with the result that they don't need to get anxious or heads up about things, because they're provided for. And then he points out, if you're one of God's children, you're far more valuable than them. So how much more will God provide for you? Don't worry. Uh, first of all, in verses 24 and following, he talks about ravens, and uh, birds. Uh, how often have you seen a raven? You know what a raven is? It's a big crow... Not a particularly pretty thing. Um, How often have you seen a raven ploughing a field? How often have you seen a a raven taking seeds and planting them deliberately? Have you ever seen that happen? Ever seen a raven on a combine harvester, driving it, bringing in the crops? You haven't seen that. Not unless you have very vivid dreams. (laughs) Maybe you do. But you've never seen that. You've never seen a raven open a supermarket. So that all the other ravens can go and buy what they need. It doesn't happen, does it? Unless uh, you've got a very good imagination, you've not seen that. It's a ridiculous thought. It really is. Yet they seem to get enough food, don't they? They have food. God feeds them, verse 24. He feeds them, he gives them what they physically need. Then Jesus says. If he does that for ravens. And, and ravens was a good example to use because in the Old Testament, to Jews, they've been told that ravens were unclean. You know, ravens weren't highly thought of. God had said they're unclean, and yet God provides for them. So if he's doing that, of course he'll provide for you, Jesus says. You're of far more value than a raven. So don't worry. Don't be anxious. He'll provide. Now, he doesn't feed us in the same way as ravens. Ravens are scavengers. They pick up leftovers. Uh, We are told in God's word that we should work for our our food. Uh, But if we do that, what does God promise? He'll provide. So don't worry. He goes on to say in verses 25 and 26 that you can't lengthen your life by worrying. You can't change anything by worrying. So why worry? Why be anxious? It doesn't benefit you in any way, says Jesus, and you don't need to do it. Uh, One of the commentators uh, points out at this point that in actual fact, rather than ever adding anything positive to our lives, what worry and anxiousness does is it takes away, it subtracts from our lives. So I'll, I'll quote him here, he says that Worry steals our time as we dwell on our troubles rather than turning to God in prayer for help and then leaving those troubles with him, which we can do. Uh, He says, worry steals our rest. We lie awake at night anxious about tomorrow and then we get up too tired to do what we need to do tomorrow. And this only adds to our anxiety, self-feeding, going round and round. He says worry steals our health As we suffer the physical effects of our anxiety Worry steals our obedience As it tempts us to other sins Like irritability, addiction, laziness Or on the other hand overwork Becoming a workaholic Worry steals our hope As we fear the worst About the future God knows that we do worry He knows that we do get anxious. Uh, But Jesus, he reassures us, you really don't need to. You really can leave your worries with him and your anxieties with him. You really can trust the God who is in control of absolutely everything and who for his people has promised he'll work it out for their good. Now, that takes some trust and it takes some faith because at times we just don't know how is that going to work out for good? But the promise of God's word is that it will. So we can put our faith in him. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. God knows. He sees. He provides. Jesus must have known that this was an important thing to tell his disciples though. Because he uses a second illustration. He continues. He talks about lilies. Uh, flowers in a field. Uh, I'm learning more and more as I get older to appreciate that flowers are beautiful things. When you stop and when you look at them, and you look at these flowers, uh, they're they're gorgeous, they're beautiful, they're stunning. Uh, But, a bit like the ravens with combine harvesters, have you ever seen a flower take out a sewing machine, or take out a loom, old-fashioned word, but you know what I mean, and start using it in order to dress itself? You've never seen that happen either, have you? It doesn't happen. Uh, They don't have to do anything to make themselves look so beautiful. And so well dressed. Uh, God dressed them. God caused them to grow in that way. And be clothed in that way. Jesus says, look at the lilies. He says, they look better than Solomon did in his glory. Who was Solomon? Well, Solomon... I tried to think of someone who's Contemporary to, to this day Solomon was like the David Beckham of his day You know he was the most wonderfully well dressed And sartorial in terms of fashion and elegance He could find He looked good He really did But not as good as a lily Jesus says in verse 28 If God so clothes the grass Which is alive in the field today And tomorrow is thrown into the oven How much more will he clothe you O you of little faith of course he will clothe you. Of course he will provide for his children's physical needs. They of much more value than lilies, flowers in a field. So there's no need to be anxious for his children. When we do worry about these things, and other things, there are many other things we can worry about, perhaps more serious even than those. What, what are we doing and what do we need to remind ourselves of? well what we're doing is we're forgetting a few things and we need to be reminded we're forgetting God's promise that he will give whatever we truly need he might not give everything we truly want but he will give whatever we truly need remind yourself of that preach it to yourself don't just wait to come to church on a Sunday to hear that preach it to yourself through the week what else are we forgetting? We're forgetting that if you're his child, he has a plan for your life. He has worked it all out. And it's a wise plan. It's a good plan. Remind yourself of that when the worries and the anxieties come. Sometimes we're forgetting that he really does appreciate the difficulties of your situation. Nobody else in this world might appreciate it fully. God will. God does. God knows. Remind yourself of that. We're forgetting his promise to to be good to us. So that whatever is actually happening right now, and whatever he's taking you through at the moment, he does have your long-term best interests at heart. And he does. It's not to say it isn't difficult now, it often is. But long-term... Best interests at heart. Remember that. Remind yourself of that. We can forget that he's sovereign. In other words, he's in control. And he will provide what you need in his own good time. Remind yourself of that. Tell yourself that. Uh, Jesus rounds off this section in verses 29 and 30 by saying... And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And, or you could say, but, your father knows that you need them. He knows you need those physical things, so he'll give you them. But he's saying there, people who don't know God center their lives on seeking after, pursuing the physical things of this world. Jesus says, if you're a child of God, you don't need to do that. You don't need to seek those things. God will give you them anyway. If instead, you seek him. And that's our final point. Uh, Verses 31 to 34. Slightly longer title for this point, but these verses teach us this. Seek to possess not physical riches, but God's kingdom. And he will gladly give you all you need and more. Seek to possess not physical riches but God's kingdom. And he will gladly give you all you need and more. Uh, Jesus has been telling us, don't put your trust in the possession of physical riches. You can't take them with you. They won't sustain your soul. He's told us not to be anxious about physical needs. Don't seek after those things with all your heart. God will give you what you need. And then he finishes by telling us what we should seek with all our heart and with our soul. uh, What we should treasure and trust in. He says in verse 31, seek God's kingdom. Seek God's kingdom. Rather than seeking the physical things of this world, Jesus says, instead, seek his kingdom. And these things, as the physical needs, will be added to you. Put God first before all else for God first and everything that it means to know him and to love him and to follow him and to serve him and God will make sure that you have all the things you physically need you'll see to that but how do we get God's kingdom we're told to seek it how do we get it do we work for it in the same way that we work for our food do we earn it no no Look at verse 32. I love this verse. I've never noticed it until I came uh, to this passage this week. Look at that verse. Verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's lovely when you stop and think about it. Uh, That's beautiful. What a lovely verse that is. Uh, Many of you in this room have the the great pleasure, I hope, of being parents. Uh, It's not always a pleasure, but there are pleasures in being a parent. I haven't experienced it yet in my own life, uh, but I have experienced uh, the joy of being the child of loving parents. And I count that a blessing, I really do. Uh, The older I've grown... Uh, the more I've realised what a privilege it has been to have parents who have loved me. I haven't always thought that way. There have been moments where I definitely didn't. Uh, But it's been a great privilege to have those parents and to have them provide for me. One of my most vivid memories of childhood, as I'm sure it is for most children, is waking up on Christmas morning. Uh, And... bundle yourself out of bed and you start dashing around and for me I was desperate to get into the living room, why did I want to get into the living room? Because that's where all the presents were and I just wanted to be there and I wanted to open them I'd be full of excitement, I'd be full of expectation Um, I wasn't often a hyperactive child but I probably was on Christmas morning (laughs) and sure enough when it came to opening the presents uh, my anticipation was was well grounded because I loved it I enjoyed it I took great pleasure in it. Uh, As I got older, though, I realized something. That though my presence seemed to take great joy in opening their presence, too, they did enjoy it. We'd each have our own pile, and we'd work our way around, each opening one from our own pile at a time. And they took much greater pleasure in something else. Their faces lit up at something else. Some of you have guessed what it is. They lit up as my sister and I, with our little hands, would tear back our wrapping paper and our present, take out the present, and burst into a great big smile. That gave them greater pleasure, I could see, than even opening their own presents. It was a great pleasure to them. To this day, it still is. I can still see my mum's face whenever, I don't know, I took into a meal she's made me. <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> It's like that with God and his children. It's like that with God and you, if you're his child. Look at that in verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Father's good pleasure. Uh, Sometimes, wrongly, we can have this mental picture of God as though he were some powerful but distant curmudgeon if you know what curmudgeon means Uh, someone who might occasionally deign to bless us in some way but he definitely doesn't enjoy it and he's not happy doing it that's not what God's like at all that isn't how our heavenly father is with his children it gives him great pleasure it gives him great delight to give you the kingdom To make you then his child. By joining you to his son Jesus Christ. That you're adopted into his family. And he is your father. To having joined you to his son. To continue blessing you through all eternity. And to give you a wonderful inheritance. It's his pleasure. Now Paul says doesn't he. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And guess what he loves to do it. It's his great pleasure to do it. He delights in it. Upon turning from your sin, then, and and putting your faith in his Son, Jesus Christ, you can have this gift gift of being part of God's kingdom. You can have real food for your soul. Uh, Jesus says in, in verse 33 sell your possessions and give to the needy that won't be hard to do if you've recognised the value of Christ compared to this world's riches he's saying in other words if you have more than enough as that man in the parable did don't hoard it give it to those who genuinely need it as a reflection of what God has done for you in giving you the great gift of his kingdom Uh, Be the means that God uses to provide food and clothing for others who really do need it. Do you know something? When you do that, and we need to discover this more, I think, we'll find that just as God takes great pleasure in giving his kingdom to needy sinners, you'll find it a pleasure to give your physical riches to those who are in genuine physical need. Paul talks about giving in the letter to the Corinthians, doesn't he? And says, God loves a cheerful giver. (laughs) And it does give you cheer if you've understood the gospel properly and what you've received from God. And then Jesus says, uh, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. That's a nice phrase, isn't it? Money bags that do not grow old. It's like saying, uh, get yourself a bank account that cannot be touched by any economic crisis. Make sure you've got a lump sum that you can take with you beyond the grave. Treasure in heaven, Jesus says, that doesn't fail. Where no thief can approach and no moth can destroy. Let me just conclude with saying this. What's the the one treasure that no one can take from you? And there is a treasure that no one can take from you. Uh, What's the one thing that you can wear and a moth will cannot destroy, or fire, or flood, or whatever it may be. It's treasure in heaven, verse 33. Treasure in heaven. Can I suggest to you that treasure in heaven is Jesus Christ Himself? Treasure him above every other possession that you have. Clothe yourself in what? His righteousness clothe yourself in his righteousness feed your soul start now and then keep doing it for all eternity feed your soul on him then one day verse 34 you'll be there in heaven with him make Jesus your most treasured possession why? for where your treasure is there your heart will be also Jesus is your treasure, you'll be with him for all eternity. Food for your soul, everlasting, uncorruptible, undefiled, that will not fade away. And make it Jesus. Amen.